Welcome to the Save by Mother Earth podcast. I'm your host, Heather Webster, and I'm so happy to have you here with us today. Today, I'm interviewing Sandy, where we talk about inner peace, connection, bravery, finding your voice, and much more. And now, on to the interview. Welcome, Sandy. It's so great to have you here on the Save by Mother Earth podcast. How are you today? Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to be chatting with you. So one of the things I always ask guests is kind of what is your story? How'd you get to where you are now? And what brought you to this passion around peace and coaching others? That what brought me to this quest for peace is a real personal need for it. I had a really stressful job. I felt super out of balance. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I wasn't getting enough exercise. I wasn't having enough fun. And it really started to catch up with me, even though I was still relatively young. And it was like, okay, well, like, this is not a good, this is not boding well for the future. So, um, so I started more and more trying to incorporate self-care, like, cause to me, peace has everything to do with a holistic sense of peace, like a physical and mental and emotional peace, right? Not just like I'm Zen blissed out. So I started to like take baby steps in that direction. And what ended up happening is I ended up leaving the really stressful job because it became clear to me that there weren't enough peaceful steps I could take to like balance the stress that was caused by that job. So that put me on a whole new trajectory. I still, you know, not independently wealthy, so I still need to work. So that um, had me looking into what I could do to sort of further this message of peace and health and self-care and well-being. And that's what led me to the um, health and wellness coaching program. Oh, how amazing. I love that idea of, right. You can help find peace and figure out what that's going to look like, but it really if your job is that stressful and you're working so much and you don't get as much the, of the time to heal, there's no amount of self-care you can do that's going to balance that out. It almost sounds like you're, you were getting those messages of like, it's time to change. Oh, I certainly was. And I was developing like some really bad habits. Like I was drinking a lot, you know, I mean, it was like, it was clear to me that this was, this was not like, a good healthy road I was going down and I want to live a long and vital life. I don't want to be like all, all wrecked and spent like by the time I retire. Right. So, um, so yeah, so it's been a, it's been a really good change. I mean, it was a scary change because I was giving up something stable. I had never not had a job like since I was a teenager. So it was a scary change, but it has proven so fruitful and exciting and I'm so much more optimistic and happy. I'm much healthier. I don't drink anymore. Um, so a lot of good things have resulted. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Can you t- tell me a little bit, cause you were talking a little bit when you were talking about your, your journey about different kinds of peace and some of the things you were talking about. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Cause some of my clients recently have been like, I just need peace. And it's like, okay, what does peace really look like for you? And how can you see it, right? Because it doesn't have to be just that Zen sitting in a crisscross on the floor meditation. Like, what does peace look like for you? Can I build on that a little bit? Yes. Well, I'm so glad you asked. And I do think it's going to end up being kind of individualized for each person because only we know what really is like sustaining and uplifting. And I will say that like, 
for years while I was still in the stressful job, I started to go to therapy. And that's what I, what your client said is what I would say, like, I need, I just need to feel some peace. Like I feel so chaotic in my head. And because our brain and our body is all part of one system, for me, peace is, you know, it's physical, it's mental, it's emotional, spiritual, you know, it's, it's multifaceted. So to me, peace looks like feeling good inside my own body and brain, which means I don't get hijacked going down ruminative thoughts. Or if I do, I can catch myself and, you know, rain it back in. Um, it looks like getting enough sleep. It looks like feeding myself with good food. Um, it looks like regular movement, plenty of time outdoors. I live in Southern California where it's beautiful year round. So, you know, getting outside, it looks like cuddling with my pets, cuddling with my husband, having time to read, um, you know, not, not being overwhelmed by any one aspect of my life, like not being before it was like work, work was the central piece. And, and I tried to like wedge little things in around it and unsuccessfully. So now it looks more like like a balanced, a balanced picture, if that makes sense. Yeah. Almost prioritizing the other pieces. Right. Whereas like when you have a really busy job, you're like, like you said, making time for things versus saying, no, I'm going to have the time for this and taking that time to actually do that. I think sometimes that can be super hard for people when they are in a job. I remember um, when I was dating somebody a while back, getting ready to get married to him. And I remember my dad saying, cause he was like switching jobs. He's like, why does he need to switch jobs? He makes enough money. And I was like, that made me realize like some people it's like, I need to work to make money to support a family versus actually working in a job that you truly love and actually brings you joy. I resonate with that a lot because I think like many of us, I was really raised to believe that success equals happiness. And like, if you have, if you work really hard and get a really good job, like in the top of your field, that happiness is the natural result, which spoiler alert, it is not. Um, and, and it wasn't for me. I had a really big job, um, I was super proud to get it. My parents were super proud of me. You know, it was impressive when I would talk about it, but it did not lead to the happiness that I had anticipated. And my job now is much lower profile, but I just feel so much happier and more at ease. And I think too, when we talk about peace and what it looks like, it's also about what it looks like in our lives, what we're able to, how we're able to show up for other people, for our families, for our communities, for our pets, you know, like I have a lot more to give now because I'm not depleted. Yes. Yes. Well, it's interesting because this podcast is all about kind of connecting deeper with yourself so you can give to others. Right. And like using spirituality or practices that are similar to that, kind of what you're talking about and using the getting outside in nature. And so it sounds like you do kind of a mixture of both. And like you said, like connecting with yourself so you can connect with like everybody in your loved ones around you. Yes. And like, I have an example that happened just this week at work. We had a, um, like the big boss came in to talk to us and at our work, a lot of people want to continue working remotely, but the big boss has been like, come into work. And so she taught, and we had to submit questions in advance to the big boss. And I felt myself having courage. So we wanted to ask about remote work. Everybody submitted their questions. She did not address it. 
And when she opened it up for questions, a couple of people asked questions. No one asked about remote work. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to ask it. And I asked it really diplomatically. You know, I'm a journalist, so I knew how to kind of say it without really creating defensiveness. And and I was like, my heart was like, bonk, 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 like really pounding when I was asking it. Um, but I asked it. Her answer was not satisfactory, but whatever. But afterwards, several of my colleagues came up to me and thanked me for asking it and saying that they had not been, they were hoping someone else would ask it and that they really appreciated that I did. So I bring this up to say that, like, I don't know that I could have done that had I not been shoring myself up, building my self-confidence and sense of self-worth and just, and, and through self-care practices, right? Through like everyday little things where I'm like, huh, I'm going to ask it. I mean, they can't fire me for asking a question, can they? You know, so it's like, okay, I'm scared, but I'm going to do it anyway. And um, so, yeah, showing up, we don't even know what we can do showing up when we feel strong and centered inside. And you know what? It makes me think too, it's especially important now with the attention on diversity and equality to be able to show up for people who have less of a where their voice isn't always heard, right? I mean, as a white person, I can be like an, an active upstander and say something just because it's right, even if I'm scared. And so I really felt that yesterday. And and I do think that it's a result of, you know, sort of grounding myself and shoring myself up over these recent years. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing how much like courage, like you said, bravery, and also, right, we going back to kind of what you were talking about, we have privilege, right? And being able to say maybe what somebody else might not be able to say is so important. I, I was talking with a client the other day and she was like, yes, but it's not fair that I can't, my voice isn't heard. And I said, no, it's not fair. But we get the, we have the right to help you get your voice out and really be able to share your voice so that someday, someday, hopefully soon your voice will be heard and they will listen to you. I mean, we're both in the same podcasting group too. And I think there's something about going through this process that's also helping bravery and our authentic self and bring out that courage to be able to say like, I'm getting my voice out every week. Yes. I can share whatever I want. Why can't I just go talk to my boss about a question? What's the worst that can happen? Yes. No, I absolutely think that this podcast program has played a role in just my, like stepping out of my comfort zone and, and yeah, and being, and I also think that it came from like the upstander training that I was doing last year after the murder of George Floyd. I was like, oh my God, I need to be a lot more active. You know, like I need to show up a lot more. Um, and so I took some like upstander training. Is that what it's called? Upstander? Active bystander? I don't know what it's called. But anyway, it's like, you know, to speak up, to speak up in when you see things that need speaking up about. And and so, yeah, so I think the combination of all those things, but I don't think any of it would have been possible if I was still operating from a really depleted state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you would have felt internally, I think, weak and not strong and not have that self-confidence to say like, exactly. oh, wait, my voice matters? Right. Or it might. It like, even if I don't know for sure that it will, it might. Like, I certainly, when I said that to the boss, did not expect other colleagues who I barely know to come up to me and be like, wow, thank you so much. And even another like big boss was like, thank you for asking that. I was like, whoa. And then I felt like, wow, I was like, that was really good. <laughs> and to think it was just a sentence or two coming out of your mouth, right? Exactly. And 
And to be able to, I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they don't, they're really struggling with self-love and self-connection. And so when they're trying to get their voice out, they're not even 100% sure what they want to say and what their voice should be because I don't think they're like at peace or feeling like their authentic self is at the surface. Do you have any tips that they could kind of use potentially? Well, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a process. Like, I don't think it's an instant thing. Like, okay, I'm going to love myself. And now I do, you know, if you've always been self-critical as I always had been, you know, it's, it's a gradual undoing, a gradual unlearning or, um, you know, like I was saying the other day, like, my self-critic can still be there, but she needs to sit in the back of the bus. Like she cannot be right next to the driver who's me. Um, so I think it's a process, but I think that when you take care of something, you love it more. If you water a plant, like if you've ever grown herbs in your kitchen and then you see your basil sprouting, you're like, oh my God, my basil is sprouting. And then when you eat that basil, even if it's only like four leaves, you're like, this is the best basil I've ever had. Like you love it because you've taken care of it. And that is true for ourselves as well. So when you take care of yourself, however that looks for you, you know, for me, getting enough sleep is a huge part of it. But however it looks for you, if that means buying the real expensive lotion, or if that means, you know, sitting in the hot tub or taking a nice long bath or whatever self-care looks like for you to build that in, you'll love yourself more because you're like the little basil plant. Even if you only have four leaves, you'll be like, those are the prettiest, best four leaves I ever had. So I think that's really part of it. It starts with action. It's not something you could. So this makes me remember my therapist used to say, you can't think yourself into well-being. You can only act yourself into well-being. I love that. It's so true, right? And it's kind of like your actions speak louder than your words, right? And so you're taking those moments and taking those steps to do something for yourself by taking action. I was talking recently about intuition um, on the podcast, but also just to some clients I was doing a reading with. And I was talking to them about if you want to tap into your intuition and kind of tap into what's good for you, if you're sitting on the couch and it says, get up and go do this, go ahead and do that thing. Take that action. Don't just think, oh, tomorrow I will do it because tomorrow you probably won't do it. And so being able to take that action, even when it's right. So I use the example of doing the dishes because I hate doing the dishes, but also finding fun in doing the dishes. I'm still working on that, but being able to say like, today I was sitting on the couch and I was doing work and the sun is shining and it's not as warm as probably down there in Southern California, um, up here in the Northeast, but the sun was shining. I was like, you know what? I'm going outside. I can take a break from this. And it was so peaceful and relaxing outside and just the sky is so blue and it was phenomenal. It can be like you know, stand up from your desk and stretch for a couple seconds. And if it feels weird doing that in the office, go into the bathroom in one of the stalls and give yourself a stretch. Or like you said, go stand outside for just a few minutes, look up at a tree. Um, I have a hummingbird feeder outside my window and it has been such a source of joy and, and like a reminder of presence for me because I see the little bird on there and I see them holding onto the feeder with their little teeny feet. And it's like, that's awesome, you know? And how long does it take for me to enjoy that? Five seconds, but it's really big pleasure. So I think just allowing ourselves and realizing 
realizing that it's cumulative, but it's also not like, oh, well, I need to set aside time for a spa visit and I need to go on a retreat. You can have little moments of, of self-care, like wherever you can fit them in. And it's going to, I think, increase your self-love as, as you just take better care of what you have. Yeah, for sure. I was thinking when you were talking about the bird on the bird feeder, I like to watch birds. I like to watch my dogs play and I like to just watch like creatures as they're in their moment. Right. And it's, yeah, they're probably up kind of keeping out a little watch on for predators and things like that, but they're really in the moment. I don't think they're thinking about like what happened yesterday. Right. It's like, Oh, I need to find nuts. That's my job right now. I'm going to find nuts. Right. So like the chipmunks and the squirrels, and then it might be, oh, I have to make a nest. Right. It's like they're just in that moment. And the fact that like watching people and kind of watching them, I, I love to people watch. <laughs> so there's certain places. There's a place in um, North Conway, which is in New Hampshire, where I'll go and I'll get a coffee and just sit outside. It's a big tourist area. And I just sit outside in their little tables and just watch the people and kind of see, and you can kind of see the stress and the anxiety and kind of like where they are, but you can also tell the people that are on vacation and they're just in the moment. So it's very interesting as you kind of people watch to see where are people and how does that relate to kind of how they're functioning in their day? You can really notice it when you see a child like children are, you know, generally they're not self-conscious at all. So you might see a, a child just like dancing in the grocery store, like dancing down the aisle while the parent is doing the shopping and that kind of vibrancy, like we can get that. That's in us. We were like that. I certainly like can recall dancing in the grocery store, <laughs> like did not care. And even like my niece, when my niece was little, she would be like, do you want to watch me do taekwondo moves? And she fully expected the answer to be yes, of course I want to watch you do taekwondo moves, you know? And it's just like that kind of, there's something to be said for that kind of spontaneity and presence that we see in animals, that we see in children. And I see it in my cat, like the cat's chilling. And then all of a sudden she has to bolt to another room because she like has business there or whatever, you know? She's not thinking, I presume that she is not thinking, what will my owners think of me if I get up from this relaxed position and bolt into the other room, you know? If I eat that food, are they going to think that I ate too much, right? Right, right. That I, I want to go back to like, when you were talking about inner talk, you were talking about like that person, right? That person that's talking to you. And it's like, we know, animals might have the inner talk of like, I have to keep an eye on things or, oh, food, yum, right? Who knows what they're really thinking, but they're not thinking that this self, deprecating words that we give ourselves. And I recently heard somebody talk about giving that person that's talking to you a name and being able to say like, even like, get out of here. Or even if you're big into swearing and being like, get, get the out of here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, Anne Lamott, the writer Anne Lamott, whose work I love um, when she writes about writing and she talks about that inner critic um, you know, creeping in and preventing you from writing. She talks about, she pictures it as a mouse or as mice. And then she puts them in a jar and closes the lid, but the jar has air holes, you know, she's not suffocating the mice, but she puts it in a jar on like a big imaginary jar on her desk so that she can write. And they're there and they're in the jar and they're fine and they can scramble around, but at least they're not going to interfere with her writing. So I think whatever kind of 
cognitive tricks you you use to to put that inner to not make that inner critic's voice the loudest one. I think it can only benefit us. And you know, Brene Brown's work has shown that shame and um, you know, self-flagellation, that's not what leads to positive change. It's not like, oh, well, if I beat myself up, then I'll stick to my diet. No. When have you ever beaten something up and watched it do, you know, what you wanted it to do for a, a long period of time? It doesn't happen. So it's through kindness, it's through self-compassion that we really get to where we're trying to go. I think there's a, a lot or like a sort of mainstream concern that like, oh, well, if I'm self-compassionate, I'll be too soft on myself and then I'll just sit on the couch and eat bonbons all day. But the opposite is true. The studies show it. If you practice self-compassion, you are more likely to reach your goals. You're more likely to try again um, and you're more likely to feel better doing it. So the self-critic thing, even though we all have it, we all like bring her everywhere we go. It's really, that's not the bag. That's like not the game. <laughs> that's right? not helping, you know? And, and you're the one telling yourself that, right? It's like, it's not, when you're walking down the street, people aren't saying, whoa, what does she have for dinner, right? Like, or, oh, wow, she must not. Like, it's like, it's inside of you and based on like all those experiences you've had in your life and how they impact you. And, but it's so hard, like watching clients and stuff like that, try to get rid of, like, try it. So I like this idea of this mice, like you're not trying to get rid of it. You're just saying, nope, not right now. You're going to go on the, on the counter in this jar. And I know you're still there almost as like a reminder that I don't need to listen to you. Yes. Yes. Elizabeth Gilbert, another writer who I love, she says something similar. She talks about fear as it relates to writing and that, you know, fear, I understand you're coming along for the ride, but you're not driving the car. And that's kind of where I get my bus analogy. Like I want my fear and critic, you go all the way to the back row. I don't even want to like barely hear you rumble back there. Um, it's a practice, right? It's not like I never criticize myself or that I never hear that voice. I do, but with practice, it's less. And certainly she gets less credence. And, and as I learn, as I mentioned these studies by like uh, Brene Brown and Kristen Neff, um, as I learned, like there's science behind it. So I don't have to be like, oh, this is some airy fairy thing that I'm trying. This has been, this has been scientifically studied. So it's reliable that we know they've measured the outcomes with people who either did this or did something else. And people did better by practicing self-compassion and releasing shame. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. Right. It's like, it's so nice to see that the research is starting to build around all of this stuff. Right. It's like oh, yes. to see the research building around meditation, see the research building around bravery and courage and, and shame and all of that. I went to, it was actually out in California. There's a sister school to Kripalu. So Kripalu is on the West on the, in Massachusetts. And there's a sister school out in, I don't even remember what town it was in, in the woods, um, in like outside of LA, because I flew into LA, I think, or maybe it was San Francisco. I don't know. Anyway, but I went to this retreat center and I went and saw Elizabeth Gilbert and Cheryl Strayed, and it was all on courage and creativity. And it was an amazing workshop. And I remember us diving into just like journaling, like crazy right about kind of self-talk and what is those what are those things that you tell yourself and which ones are true which ones are not right and most of them are not true they're just stories right and so 
did you have kind of in your process, did you go through journaling and that kind of as part of your yes. process? Yes, and I still do. So one of the great pleasures of changing up my schedule and not having work be the dominant force in my life is that I developed a morning routine. I always wanted a morning routine, but it always seemed like, well, how, how would I ever have time for a morning routine? But now I have a morning routine. And so for about probably almost three years, I've been doing morning pages from the artist way with like Julia Cameron. Um, so I've filled like more than 20 notebooks already. And I journal every morning. Sometimes I don't do the full three pages. When I started, I did the full three pages every single day. Sometimes I don't do the full three pages, especially if I have an early morning appointment. I've skipped a day here and there, but that has been a wonderful, wonderful practice. And it, I was so grateful that I had already established that practice before the pandemic, because it gave me a place to feel grounded when things felt really tumultuous uh, after George Floyd's murder with the election. Like when all that stuff was happening, I at least could ground myself every morning with my little pages and just like put down my fears, put down my concerns and I'm not saying it alleviated everything and then I floated away in bliss, but like it, you know, it gave me a place to put it. So I continue to journal. I did it this morning. Um, and then at the beginning of this year, I added mindfulness meditation practice every morning too. So I tried to do it after I journal, but then I felt like after I journal, I'm ready for coffee and that wasn't working. So now I do it before I journal. Um, and I'm up to 12 minutes starting from two minutes. So again, I started super small. When I sat there for two minutes, it was the longest two minutes of the entire day. Um, and 12 minutes also feels long, but some days I finish the 12 minutes and go for another like five or eight. Many days I finish the 12 minutes and I'm like, okay, that was good. Or, you know, I was distracted the entire time or whatever. So that's my morning routine now. Okay, um, listeners, I want you to hear that because so many times people feel like they need to sit down and do a long meditation that's a specific way. And, and here you are talking about, you started with two minutes and right. And you built up and you made the routine based on what works for you, which is so phenomenal, right? Like you, you try to do meditation after journaling, and you're like, Nope, this doesn't work. I need to have my coffee. Right. And so you made it work for you versus saying, Oh, well this professional, Oh, whatever. I'm going to do air quotes with that one. Right. This professional says, this is the way you meditate and Oh, you have to do it in this order and you have to do it this way. What you're saying. And I'm just emphasizing this for you guys as listeners is that you really can do it however you feel you're going to get the best out of it. And so, cause I know I love to talk about like meditation isn't just sitting still. It could be that you're out for a walk or maybe you're out for your morning run and all of that can kind of play a part in it. Absolutely. And, and it's just cultivating that kind of present feeling and getting practice at it. So like this morning, so I meditate laying down on my back on the floor. And this morning when I went to go do it, the cat got right on my stomach. And usually I put my hand on my stomach so I could feel my breath to keep me like a little more tuned in, but she was on my stomach and, you know, she, she's not super big, but you know, she weighs like 10 pounds. And so I just tuned into that feeling of her sitting there. Like, what does her weight feel like on me? And I did that for 12 minutes and it's not to say I didn't get distracted. I thought like about my podcast. I thought, oh, today's Friday. I got to still be sure to do this. I got my haircut this morning. I was like, oh, I got to go get my haircut. You know, oh yeah, I'm concentrating on the feeling of the cat in my stomach. And uh, 
it's a practice. It doesn't have to be perfect. And it doesn't have to be 20 minutes in a pretzel shape or an hour, you know, on a mountaintop. It can be, like you said, out walking. You know, what's a good um, practicing for that is like, give yourself a little assignment. Okay, I'm going to look for all the orange things on my walk. And so you go walking and you say, oh, there's an orange flower. Oh, that guy has an orange patio chair. And then you forget about it. And then you think about the assignment you have to do later. And then you think you got to go to the grocery store. And then all of a sudden like an orange bird flies by and you're like, oh yeah, orange. I'm supposed to be thinking about orange. And it's it's pretty delightful. <laughs> I feel like so many people do feel like there's specific ways of doing it. And it's, I'm wondering like when you have the cat on you, all I could think of is how grounding that must have been to almost feel like more pressure almost like sinking you into the ground did it feel like more grounding or did it feel more uncomfortable it didn't feel uncomfortable I mean I love my cat so it just felt like so sweet that she's on me I can feel that she's purring because you can feel like that little rumble and um I like it whenever she wants to sit on my lap she's not super cuddly so whenever she does I'm like oh savor this moment you know um and I feel yeah it made me feel connected to to just feeling her there. I even put my hands on my stomach as I'm talking to you right now. Cause it's like, she was sitting there and I could feel her the whole time. And, and because too, that's what I was meditating on. That's what, that was like my grounding thing to return to. So yeah, it, it did feel really grounding. I mean, most of the time she, I always lay in the same spot on the floor. Most of the time she doesn't bother to get on me, but today she did. I'm still trying to figure out how to teach my dogs not to like be in my, like licking my face and eating my hair while I'm doing meditation. Oh yeah. Sometimes my dog will come up and lick my face. Um, but my dog is afraid of feet. So somehow he won't walk around my feet. So if I have my head close enough to like another object then he can't get there cause he won't walk around my feet, but he's like really weird. <laughs> that is so different, right? Cause so many dogs love to like lick feet and like, he hates feet. He will bark at your feet. Like if you like, you're sitting on the t- couch or whatever, and you cross your legs and then your foot moved, he'll be like, Err. like he barks at feet. We're like, you're so weird. He's so weird. That's great. <laughs> right. And that's like appreciating everybody has different, right? It's oh, like, he's his own person. Yeah. yeah. My dog was barking at a leaf the other day. And I'm like, they're <laughs> protecting me from that leaf. I dropped a piece of aluminum foil, like flat aluminum foil, weighs nothing, right? I dropped it in the kitchen by accident, whatever fell out of my hand. Duke jumped like 10 feet. Like, like he was like, ah, I'm so startled. It's like, okay. I mean, it was nothing. It's, it's so funny. I was in the early childhood realm for a long time, right? Doing education. And I used to always talk about the comparison between my dogs and kids because they are right. So similar of like, they're just in the moment. They're just like, oh, there's a leaf. I'm going to bark at it. Oh, tinfoil. I'm going to bark at it versus like everybody else. Right. And that's how kids are. Right. It's like, oh, a caterpillar. Neat. Right. It's so funny. It's so cute. Or like if he, if we go for a walk and there's a branch on the ground, he's like, I probably need to pee on that. It's like, you could be anywhere on the grass, but you got to pee on where the branch. All right. You got your own system, you know? (laughs) Right. They're fully at peace, I guess. Yes. Right? Yes. Except that uh, not Duke. They get a house. When there's feet around, Duke is not at peace. Oh. Duke is very unsettled. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Does, does Duke go running with you? 
he used to he's old now so now okay. he doesn't like it as much but yes he used to and he was a wonderful running partner he stayed right by my side oh. loved it he loved it and so did i but now he walks a lot yeah uh, shorter distances and yep. slower pace yeah you ever run out in the woods well i live by the beach so i run here by the beach um my mom retired to the mountains, so when I'm up there, I do a little bit of running up there, but it's at elevation, so it is a lot more challenging than running here at sea level. So, um, but I love to hike if I'm up in the woods. Like I like to hike or backpack, go backpacking. We did a backpacking trip in Yosemite um, this summer, which was wonderful. So yeah, I mean, I I do a, even before the pandemic, I did a lot of my exercise outdoors because of just the beautiful place where I live. Um, but now I've I haven't returned to any type of, like, I haven't even done a yoga class or anything um, because I'm like anxious about, you know, being in that indoor environment, but it's, it's fine. I love to just walk around out here and. Right. Yeah. As you can, as you know, based on the title of this podcast, I love um, everything that has to do with nature. So it's one of those things where if you can get out there, I have a hard time doing anything inside. It's funny how people will pay crazy amounts of money and build these amazing buildings in like the city to host like yoga when yoga is supposed to be like really connecting right and now in the city where there's no parks you might need to have a yoga studio and having a yoga studio is amazing for having that ability to have that but it's funny how people might even walk by a park to go to a yoga studio when they could do the yoga right in the park and be even more connected think about how inside we've become oh yes (laughs) There's studies on that too. I mean, we live these days with 95% of our lives indoors and that's not how human beings are meant to be. I mean, we are meant to be out in the elements. I mean, that's why you've probably heard of like earthing called earthing where you put your bare feet in the earth, like in the dirt or in the grass and you can absorb like ions or I don't know what you get something from minerals or something from it we've become so disconnected from that that now we have to have it as like a practice called earthing that you like have to intentionally remember to go do and or you buy the mattress pad that does it oh i didn't which is know crazy that, that now why would have... you do that well and one thing that i do love is they have this thing for people that are in wheelchairs that that can they you can put pads under people to help <laughs> them connect if they don't because they have metal touching the ground all the time or rubber well the rubber on the metal right but versus being able to actually physically touch the ground regularly um and so it's interesting though that now they have to create these tools to make people more grounded that you can sleep on and help your like energy flow better like you said the ions versus just going out and going barefoot Right. Or even, I mean, even with like the, I was talking about the little herb plants, like just having a little herb plant that you plant, like take this, get by the little sproutling from the hardware store or, you know, the garden store, plant it, get the soil and plant it yourself and use your bare hands. I mean, that's earthing and you can get the benefits of that. And you can, I mean, if you live in a cold place or, you know, if you don't have the mobility, you can hopefully still do that and have it in your home and get that experience and the caring for the plant. And if it's a plant you can eat even better because eventually you're going to eat it and you're going to be so stoked. (laughs) Right. It's like everything you can get right from, and our soil is so depleted right now for our food, but at the same time, anything you can do that comes from nature 
is going to be tenfold or a hundredfold or a thousandfold better than something you can buy, right? And the excitement of it, I will tell you, we grew, so we don't have a, a garden, you know, we um, grew in a pot, um, sweet peppers. And we got like, we've gotten like two sweet peppers off the thing. And every day I go water the sweet peppers and I'm like all excited about it. And then a squirrel ate one of our peppers and, you know, it was a whole dramatic thing. But like, I took that sweet pepper, like this is a precious thing. Meanwhile, I can go to the store and buy sweet peppers three for a dollar. But like my sweet pepper that I grew, this is like, my husband and I are like, we're going to cut this up. We're just going to eat this. This is going to be like, you really feel that connection. And that's why I made that analogy earlier about self-care, because I feel a lot closer to that sweet pepper than I do to the ones that I pick up from the market. And the ones I get from the market are way bigger and, you know, brighter. Like mine's kind of weeny looking, you know, but it's, I feel like so much more connected to the one that I saw growing from a flower. Yeah. Well, it kind of talks to the fact like when you cook a meal and you put love into the meal, it tastes better. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like all that work that went into growing that sweet pepper and the time it took and the nurturing it took and, and just, you know, it didn't have to travel. It didn't get sprayed by anything. It was in your home. You you got to get the benefit of just having it in your home and that benefit that you get from that, right? It's like, I need to, I need to start gardening this year. Right? Even in pots. I mean, so we bought it as a little sproutling and we put it in, we bought the soil. I didn't know what I was doing. I watched some YouTubes about it, you know, and I planted it. I didn't know if it was going to grow or what was going to happen. And, and it was actually so exciting because every, so when it got flowers, I'm like, oh, it's flowering, you know? And then one of the flowers like turned into a little like, like ball or bulb or something. I'm like, I think that's going to be a pepper. And then like every day looking at it, it was like, like the hummingbirds. It was such a simple, accessible joy. I mean, we maybe spent $20 at the hardware store. I mean, I know not everybody has $20 to just spend on something like that, but um, what I mean to say is it's not super expensive and it has continued to bring joy. And then we have eaten the peppers, the ones that the squirrels didn't get. And it's, it's wonderful. And when I was so stressed and when I was so busy, I would not have ever wanted to spend my time doing that because I had like nine zillion other things I needed to do. And I just don't think I had the presence to be appreciative of that. So I feel really grateful. That's another practice, grateful, gratitude. I practice that all the time and that has enriched my life a lot. And as you probably know, there are many studies on this as well. This is scientifically proven. I was talking about this the other day. So, you know, if you um, go to, you, you're going to buy a new car. So you get a blue Honda, right? You're all excited about your blue Honda. And next thing you, next thing that happens is you notice blue Hondas everywhere. You see one in the supermarket parking lot. You see one on the freeway. You see one, you know, at the doctor's office. You're like, well, the blue Honda, that's the same model I got, you know? Um, so that's a phenomenon of the human brain called the reticular activating complex. And that happens with gratitude. That happens. Gratitude could be your blue Honda. If you look for things to be grateful for, you will find more things to be grateful for. And if you have a journaling practice, then you can write them down when you do your journaling practice. And then you're just priming your brain to be like, oh, what other good things can I be grateful for? Is there a bud on my pepper plant? Is the cat like having some business in the other room that's urgent? Is, you know, whatever it is. So I, and gratitude, that's a free thing to practice. And that only, only benefits you. And I know I have a friend who's He's not a downer, but 
he's kind of like what, you know, he thinks like gratitude, like, eh, that's just like some hippie stuff and whatever. But like, even if you feel like you have nothing to be grateful for, he and I were talking on the phone about this. And I'm like, you have a phone, you have ears that work, you have verbal faculties that work. Um, those are some things to be grateful for. You know what? You can read. That's something to be grateful for. And it can go down to the smallest thing. Like I'm standing while I'm talking to you right now. I'm standing up. I can stand up. I've been injured before and unable to stand. This is something to be grateful for. So I think looking for gratitude has been a really enriching uh, practice that I've added to my life. I think it can spread, right? It's if you're grateful, maybe the people that are having a really, really hard day, they might not be willing to hear it that day. But I think like, as you talk about the things you're grateful for, it spreads to other people, right? Because they talk about how, who you surround yourself with is kind of who you are. Um, and so I think if you are that positive, peaceful, relaxed, happy, grateful person, you'll either decide that, oh, I can't hang out with that person because they just don't mix with me and who I am now, or you're going to help spread that and more people are going to attract, you're going to attract those people that have that as well. Yes, I think so. And, and if you're having a terrible day and feeling really crappy, then you can be grateful that when that day ends and that you have a bed and someplace to sleep and you know, I mean, there, you can always find something. I, I agree with you. I think some people will be like, oh, come on with the gratitude. Like I feel terrible. My day sucks. I'm sick or something, you know, like I'm in dire straits. I have no money. So, so I, I, I don't mean to be Pollyanna about it. I, I see where there's, there's, um, you know, obviously there can be barriers to it, but then just get granular, get granular. Can you see, can you see, do all your five senses work? Grateful. That's not true for everybody. Do you live in the United States? Grateful for as messed up as our country is. It's a pretty free place to live. And, you know, grateful. A lot of people try to come here with everything that they have and die on the way. Grateful. I live here, you know? Yes. I was thinking about that today because this is something I've always practiced without knowing I was practicing it since I was a kid, right? Like I've always been very positive. And in my darkest time when I didn't, like I was having a really, really hard time. It didn't come out that way because I was just like, right down, like not even realizing I might've been depressed at that time. Like I was thinking about that today and I was, we had on, I don't remember, it might've been like Sunday, Monday and Tuesday, but anyway, we had like two or three days of really heavy rain. And I was thinking, oh, like my dot, my, I have a new puppy. And so she like loves being outdoors, but she's potty training. And I was like, Oh, potty training in the rain is so not fun. But at the same time, it's cool. Cause she likes the, she loves being outside. And that means that when we hike in the rain, she's going to love it. But then the sun came out yesterday and I was just like, you know what? That rain made me love the sun even more. And then another story that kind of has to do with that was I had, um, because it gets super cold here and my windows aren't great in my house. I was putting plastic on my windows last year. And I remember, right, right you have the, I have the hair dryer in one hand. I have like the plastic on the wall that you're holding and you're blow drying it and you're trying to get it to shrink wrap around the window. And I'm not a perfectionist. 
So when our, our teacher talks about being a C student, I'm all good with like, let's be messy. I'm okay with that. So I'm like, okay, but this has to be pretty perfect because you want like all the air to stay out, right? It has to be tight so there's no breezes. And I was like, oh, this is this really kind of sucks, actually. This is not fun. And then something clicked. It was almost automatic, I think, because I've been doing this practice so much that I was like, but I have windows. I can be grateful the fact that I have to cover, I get to cover these up. It was, it was very eye-opening of how that practice starts to help without you knowing it. It just sneaks in after a while. Yeah, I mean, with neuroplasti- neuroplasticity, we make neural connections based on what we repeat. You know, I used to smoke cigarettes many years ago and I had like neural connections. Like when I got in the car, I'd light up a cigarette. That's like what you did. And I didn't have to think about doing it. I'm in the car. Should I light up a cigarette? It was like, no, this is just what you do. And that's why undoing those habits is hard, right? Because this is just what you do. And then you're like, oh no, now I don't do it. But with gratitude, you make those neural connections. I'm grateful. I look for things to be grateful for. And then your brain starts to do it because you've got that pathway formed. It's it's phenomenal, right? And and that's what we, I talk to the clients a lot about and people on the podcast of like, what can you be grateful for? And I even try to get them to stretch a little bit further because you always hear the friends and family and pets. And it's like, okay, so, but let's stretch it a little bit further. What else could you be grateful for? Oh, your health, your, maybe you're not where you want to be health-wise, but you have the ability to fix that, right? Or you have the ability to, because of where you live, you have access to food that other people don't have access to. Um, And so we can talk all day long about how it's really important to eat organic, but if you're living in a city where like in a town, in an area and you don't have a car, right? You don't have access to that food. And because they have to take bus to bus to bus. And if they have kids and they're a single parent, right? It's so you can be grateful for the fact that you have, I I drive an hour to get to, so (laughs) this is very different than Southern um, LA. I used to live in in Davis, California. So I kind of know the area a little bit like from driving up and down or whatever, but I have to drive an hour and 15 minutes to get to like a Whole Foods to get good produce. And somebody was like, wow, that's a long time. I was like, but I get to do that. And I get to figure out, okay, you know what? It's an hour and 15 minutes. What else can I do while I'm down there? What other fun can I have? And oh, cool. I get to pick out what veggies I want. And I have that access to that. So it's, it's amazing when you start, like you said, because I think a lot about those habits. Mine was like, I used to get in the car and get chips, like on the ride home. It was like, oh, stop at the convenience store and get chips. I don't need to eat while I'm driving, but it was that habit, right? And so we get into these habits, I think. And I think people that have a hard time seeing that gratitude, they've gotten into the habits of saying the opposite, right? And just being able to flip that switch a little bit takes time and effort. Repetition and practice. Mm-hmm. I could talk to you forever. Oh my I- God, I know. I could with you too. I could with you too. We're going to do this again. So for all you podcast listeners, I'm sorry about the segues all over the place, but it's just too fun and we have to. It's so fun. Um, yes. So yeah, we should definitely do this again for sure. Where can listeners find you? Well, I am on Instagram at you know Sandy. Y-O-U-K-N-O-W, Sandy with Y. Um, I'm starting my podcast in January called Inner Peace to Go. And we'll be talking about many of these same kinds of themes 
and how to find peace and how to find that whole whole body kind of peace. Um, I have innerpeace to go.com. And yeah, send me a message, connect with me, tell me what you want to hear about. Tell me what you liked out of my conversation with Heather right now. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited to um, connect with who's ever interested in talking about these things. And we will put all those contacts in the show notes for sure. Somewhere on your podcast already, or do you have a trailer where they can kind of subscribe or follow? Say so you can find my podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can check out my little mini trailer, get a taste for what's to come. And uh, episodes will start um, playing in January. Oh, fantastic. And now do you have anything that you're, you've created that they can opt in for? Oh, that's right. Yes, I do. Thank you so much. I, um, if you want to get my five proven ways to get inner peace now, all science backed, as you can tell, I'm like a science head. Um, you can, you can get that. I'll have a link tree on my Instagram that you can find my free little proven ways to uh, get inner peace now. Excellent. And will your, will that have your website on it as well? The link tree? Yes, it will. Innerpeacetogo.com. You can find all that on my Instagram. I'm at, you know, Sandy. I'm on Twitter at, you know, Sandy as well. Awesome. Get to Instagram, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh, what a delight. Thank you so much. What a fantastic interview. Thank you, Sandy, for being here. It was so wonderful to get to know Sandy and some of the work that she's doing and also how it connects with you as listeners. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. And as always, sending you off with love. And until next time, hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for tuning in to the Save by Mother podcast.